Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 96 of How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron, and I bet you didn't know that Almost every single time I say that, I want to say I'm your guest, Rachel Heron, and I don't know why I made that mistake on maybe episode number one or two, and it has stuck since then, episode number 96. I still want to say I'm your guest, Rachel Heron. So thank you for inviting me into your ears. I suppose that I am your guest. Um, I'm so glad that you're here today. Today we are talking to the delightful Kirsty Logan. And she has this gorgeous Scottish accent and she is wonderful and inspiring to listen to. And I know that you're going to enjoy the interview section of the show. So um, I'm going to keep this one brief because people, I got a lot to do today. I have started that new challenge to myself, which I do believe that I mentioned last week on the show. I might have only mentioned it in my email newsletter. So you probably want to get on that newsletter if you're not on it already. Um, But I'm doing this new challenge for myself. And I just started this week. So I've only done it for five days in a row. But my challenge is to write 2000 words a day, every day, including weekends. Because I have felt... I have just felt a little stuck. I have felt slowed down. I have been wondering, I don't think I said this on the show. I think it was just in the email newsletter. Now that I think back, I've been wondering if my mood, which has been a little bit low, has been driven by the fact that I haven't been doing enough writing or if the fact that I haven't been doing enough writing has been making me feel low. And if the last five days are anything to go by, which they might not be, but I think they might be. Um, I've been writing 2K words a day. I'm done by 9 a.m., uh, which is a time that I frequently get up a lot of times. So I'm making sure that I'm done. I'm writing by 7.30. I'm done by 9 a.m. And then my most important work of the day is done. And no matter how I screw up the rest of the day, I can't screw that part up, which is so important to me. And I have to tell you, It is awesome. It has been going so well. The writing isn't going well. First drafts never go well for me. They're, they're agony. Um, but it, they haven't been sucking that much, the words, and it has changed the way I feel. It really, really has. Getting it done by then, I go out to a coffee shop. Um, I did this cool thing where I bought a very cheap, like $25, um, portable folding keyboard, which I've never had one before because I finally realized that I could connect a Bluetooth keyboard to my phone and write in a cafe. And why that's important is because then I can get out of my house and also go for a run. Um, I know that sounds sick, but I want to. It helps my mood. Uh, It feels good. And I don't want to take my computer out and then leave it in the car because cars around the lake where I run are constantly getting their windows smashed and whatever you hide in there is found. So I could never do both. I couldn't go out and write and run. There were too many trips to be done. So um, I either dropped one or both of those things often. So I've been writing on this little keyboard connected to my phone. I don't, the the phone stays on me when I run. I don't care if a $25 keyboard gets stolen out of my car. Hopefully that won't happen. Um, But it's going so, so, so well. 
and my mood has been great. And because I get up so early and I know that's not early for a lot of people, but and start all of that work and get it done early, that means I've been getting so much other stuff done. It has been fantastic. Um, so I will keep you posted next week where as to how it goes over the weekend. I don't usually work on the weekends and I've just um, asking myself about the stories I tell myself. I've always told myself that I can't write on weekends. I must keep them sacred for rest. Uh, but you know what? Maybe not. Maybe that's not true. I always worked on the weekends when I had a day job. Those were my days to write. Those were my days off or writing days. So I'm challenging everything I know. Um, it's been going very well. Very quickly, let me thank um, new patron supporters. Thank you. Thank you to Amy Marchand Collins and um, Beck C- uh, Simon, Seaman, Beck Simon, and Jennifer Elishan. <laughs> you guys are challenging me with the names. Um, or Elishan. Uh, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, you guys, for supporting me on Patreon. It means the world to me. If you would like to get in on that, that's a patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And it just proves to me that you guys like what I'm doing. And it means so much. And it makes a very, very real difference in my day-to-day life. It means that I can go out and buy a $25 uh, folding keyboard and give that a try. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will continue to share the tips and tricks that I turn up. But for now, let's jump into the interview with Kirsty. Please enjoy. Please get some writing done. Drop a line and tell me all about it and enjoy. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my stop stalling and write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. All right. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome Christy Logan to the show. Hi, Christy. Hello. Hi. Hi. Let me give you a little introduction. Christy Logan is a fiction writer, book reviewer, freelance editor, and writing mentor for Womentoring. Is that how you say it? I think so. I've never heard anyone say it out loud. So. It's like a women mentoring, a woman. Mentoring. Yes. And she volunteers at Oxfam Books. She's had four books published, two novels, and two short story collections. Her writing has been translated into Japanese and Spanish, recorded for radio and podcasts, exhibited in galleries, and distributed from a vintage Wurlitzer cigarette machine, which is rad. Uh, <laughs> she's 34 and lives in Glasgow, where she mostly hangs out with her wife, Annie, and their rescue dog, Rosie. She reads books, drinks coffee, falls into YouTube pits, as do I, listens to true crime podcasts, and dreams of the sea. Welcome. Hi. It's so Thanks nice. for having me. Oh, it's so nice to have you. I was, I, I cannot wait to read The Gloaming, which, ha- I mean, you have won the cover lottery with your books too, haven't you? I know, and I don't have anything to do with them, so I can, you know, wax on about them because I didn't do them. I don't have anything to do with them, but they are so beautiful. I'm so pleased with them. That's an interesting thing to say because I have hit the cover lottery several times, and because I have nothing to do with them, it is very easy to be so proud of them. It's yeah. it's often so hard, so hard for us to say, well, yeah, that was a good book I wrote, but we can say... Isn't that cover gorgeous? It's the most gorgeous thing. So, mm-hmm. good point. Well, let, let's talk about your writing process. How do yeah. you get all the writing done that you do? Where and when and how? I, do you know, I wish I had a system. I wish I had some kind of excellent answer to give. <laughs> uh, you know, like, oh, here's my schedule that I do every day. Um, and I absolutely don't. I think um, quite early on in my career, I was really good at having a schedule because um, 
I wasn't published and that no one was really asking me for my time so I could have my time however I wanted kind of outside the, the paying work that I was doing at the time so I could I could be really strict you know I'm going to do these hours of writing and um, for for ages my all through my 20s I did um, just any job I could get really so I could write um, in, my, in the rest of the time so you know I was a waitress worked in a call center um, I worked in a greengrocer just absolutely anything that I could get oh, I did data entry as well just anything. And then I would structure the rest of my time really carefully because I was very conscious that I had bought my time. So why would I muck about? Because, you know, I've just spent seven hours making cappuccinos or filling in forms. So I'm not going to waste the four hours that I now have at home because I, you know, that's my hard one time that I've done a job that I don't particularly enjoy. And I don't think I'm particularly good at in order to to earn that time. Um, and I have to say, <laughs> as my career has gone on, that's really slipped away from me quite drastically. And I don't know if it's because I don't really do that much that I don't like anymore, which is a very privileged position to be in. Mm -hmm. um, so I just like everything that I do and everything that I do, I have chosen to do. So, you know, I love the mentoring. I love volunteering. I love writing, obviously. I love doing events. I love doing podcasts, everything. So it's quite easy to just do that stuff all day and then not write anything because you're like, well, I've already had a great day. I've done creative things. I've talked about books. It's been really good. So you don't do the kind of the work with the capital W, the actual work. And I also find that the more that I have written and published and had a career, the more demands on my time there are. I mean, but it's all stuff that I really like. So for example, I've just had a really intense incredible strange four days at the Edinburgh Film Festival mm. which I haven't been to before um but I'm trying to get into writing for film write some short films things like that so um I did a I did a program and part of that was that they gave us these industry passes to go to the film festival so you know I was doing that going to all these quite terrifying um panel discussions about like here's how a film is produced I mean if there are any film producers listening, much respect, because I can't handle that level of plate spinning that they must have to do. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, so I've been doing that, which is, you know, it's not, it's not work in that I've spent four days not having written a word, but these are things that you have to do to kind of keep growing, keep developing. It's the kind of back end work of the writing career. So yeah, that was a long answer to to a good and simple question of how do I structure my time? Because I guess the answer is I don't really. Um, I think it was actually really good practice that when I was doing all those various, you know, waitressing, call center type jobs that I had to just write when I could and to value that time because I feel like I have to do that still now. But the things taking up my time are things that I quite enjoy, which again is great, but it also means I have less of a drive to kind of do the writing because I love everything that I'm doing so much. Whereas it used to be that I basically hated everything that I was doing except writing. So I didn't really have to push myself to write. Whereas now I'm like, okay, if you want the work to get done, you actually are going to have to sit your bum in the chair and actually do it. Um, so I do little tricks that I do to myself as well. So I live just really close to a library and a really nice coffee shop. Oh, nice. I know, except they now both have, both have Wi-Fi. They didn't used to have Wi-Fi and they got a lot more done. <laughs> but so I'll do things like they both open at 10. So I will, you know, get myself ready in the morning, take the dog out, things like that. And then go and get a coffee, take away coffee, take it to the library and just sit 
for maybe two or three hours and just work until lunchtime. And at least if I can get something done, then I feel like, okay, so the rest of the day I can do emails, I can deal with paperwork. You know, if I'm doing any teaching, I'll plan the class that I'm teaching, things like that. So I guess if there's anything that I try and do strictly, it's that. So writing is for the morning and everything else is for the afternoon, because then at least if I've written something, I can relax a little bit. You and I are kindred spirits on every every single word that just came out of your mouth could have come out of my mouth. Um, and I love that you say it's because we love all the other things that we're doing. I find that I can go a week or two weeks when I'm really busy with the business stuff, um, like when a book has come out or you know between edits or whatever, and I can turn around and I haven't written new words and I haven't revised. And for me, writing and revision are that capital W work. And I try to keep sacred that morning time where I go, I go to my library with my coffee and I, and it's two or three hours. If I can get two or three hours, leave around 12 or one and go home for lunch and then start doing all the other stuff. My life feels balanced Mm -hmm. and I'm still Mm -hmm. behind in everything. I'm and I'm sure you are too. There's just, we could do the business side forever. We could never write again, but you love the writing. I still will confess that I do not love first draft writing. No, I mean, I don't know. I love hate it. Like, well, I love hate it. Yeah, yeah I, I love planning. I love to kind of be in that creative space where everything you read or see or hear yeah. kind of feeds into your project, you know, and the world is so full of things that you can steal and weave in. And that's really exciting to me. I actually really like um, editing and revising as well. But first draft, so like it took me a year and a half to do the first draft of that of The Gloaming, my last novel. And I would say I hated it just about every day. Every yes, day I was girl, like, yes. I hate this book. Why am I writing this book? This book is terrible. This book is going to destroy everything I have built. My entire career is going to be a joke after this book. Why am I doing this? And every day for about a year and a half, that's what I felt like. But I still did it still did the work because I was like what else are you gonna do go and work in the cafe again you definitely don't want to do that so you just got to do the work and I think I think anyone who sits down at their computer or their notebook in the morning and thinks I am a genius and every (laughs) word I write is just this book perfection it's not going to need a single comma changed I mean I don't mean to cast aspersions. I'm not convinced. Oh, go, you can go ahead. They're the best. They're the best writer. I've got to say. So I'm I'm trying to learn to kind of let let the self doubt be to just sit with it and just think it's okay to have self doubt because you've had self doubt for the other four books and that turned out fine. So you can write another book while also drowning in your sea of self doubt and maybe it makes for a better book. You know, I think not thinking that you're a genius and everything you do is perfection is probably actually quite healthy. I think it's And I feel like I also have this, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think I have this double thing as well of like, not only am I British and um, we have an almost an obsession with being humble. If you, you're not allowed to say you're good at anything mm-hmm. because someone's just waiting to go, but are you, are you though? <laughs> I don't know why we're like this, honestly. But then additionally, I'm also Scottish and we are even worse, so much worse. Like, you're not allowed to say that you're good at anything ever. And you're not even really allowed to say that anyone else is good at anything. Like the way that Scottish people show affection is through insult. 
So like the meaner you are to someone, the more you like them. Oh my God, I would die. That sounds it's so, so difficult. It's bizarre, but we're so used to it that I don't even notice. So my brother lives in Canada now and some of his friends came over to visit. His friends, a couple very much in love, adore each other. And they were, um, we say, taking the piss, like ripping it out of each other, um, kind of teasing each other. And then my brother's friends were like, what's to your friends are they gonna break up what's wrong with them and he was like what no they're wildly in love that's how we are if you if if a couple if you if you meet a scottish couple and they're incredibly polite to one another they're gonna break up <laughs> if you see a scottish couple that's you know teasing each other they are in love does that, i don't know why i don't know why does that attitude make its way into your fiction I think a little bit. I mean, I think my fiction is more sincere than me <laughs> as a person. I think um, I can show sincerity in fiction in a way that perhaps in life, most British or Scottish people don't tend to do. We tend to, yeah, distance ourselves from it a little bit. We we aren't very good at being sincere and we're a bit mistrustful of people who are sincere. Like actually my friend texted me the other day and he said, I just want to say that I'm really glad that we're friends and I just, I really value you. And I was like, my God, what have I done? Why, <laughs> why does he hate me? <laughs> why is he saying these things? You really thought that? I mean, for a second, because yeah. we don't speak to each other like that. Yeah. We just, uh, we kind of lovingly tease each other yeah. as a way to, to show affection. Um, so yeah, it made me think like, we, I don't know, we just don't really say things that we mean, which again, like generally in fiction, that works quite well because Fictional yes. characters don't really say what they mean either. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was a good lesson to learn. You probably have a broader understanding of that subtext than someone maybe. like I would, you know? Well, Perhaps. if you're maybe used to people who are very sincere, um, yeah, because that can translate oddly in fiction to write very... Um, stuff that on the surface is very sincere. Whereas I feel like perhaps the fiction I write and the fiction that I like to read is, it's not really sincere on the surface. It's more complex and people aren't saying what they mean, but the emotions beneath mm -hmm. are sincere. And I think, um, are quite pure in a way. Like I do, maybe I'm a softie at heart, but I do like to write stories about people who do love each other mm. at heart. Like I think in the gloaming, for example, all the characters, they never say what they mean and they can never really tell each other that they care about each other and that they love each other. I don't actually think they say those words at any point in the whole book, but it's there. And I, cause I think that's how we kind of are with our families and our loved ones is you don't necessarily every single day go, Hey, I love you. Hey, I love you too. But you show them that you love them by your actions and things that you do for them and, and things like that. So yeah, maybe that does translate quite well for fiction. <laughs> Now that I think about it. <laughs> That's excellent. I'm a tiny bit jealous. What is your biggest <laughs> challenge when it comes to writing? Oh, so many. I mean, the self-doubt thing. I don't think it ever goes away. I mean, as, I, as you said, I do mentoring and somebody asked me quite recently, um, when does the self-doubt go away? And I was like, I mean, you tell me because it hasn't gone away for me and yeah. it doesn't seem like it has for you either. So, you know, if you've had this career and it hasn't gone and it hasn't gone for me either, it goes. It I don't think it, no. I also don't think it should the same way you said, if you think you're a brilliant writer, when you sit down at the page, you might not be. Um, <laughs> but, but I think it's the same thing. If I sit down full of confidence, what am, what am I actually achieving on the page? I'm mm. not being brave. I'm not 
I'm not challenging myself at all. So we'll jump to the question that's later. Usually, how do you mm. deal with the self doubt if you have that very dark day? Oh, you just got to keep going. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, when for sure. I think you just have to keep going. I mean, what else can you do? You just have to keep going. I mean, I think sometimes writing a book is like a lot of very, very long walk or a marathon. And I mean, I'm not a runner. I'm the type of person that would rather sit at home and read a book than go out for a run. So for me, a marathon is serious work. So and there, I, mean, I imagine if I was running a marathon or having a very, very long walk, there would be many points that I would want to stop. But then if you stop, what's the point of that? You're just in the middle of nowhere sitting on the ground. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Good point. Yeah. So to me, that's that's how I think about it is there's no point stopping you might as well keep going until the end because then you're back home again or you're back where you started. And otherwise you're just in the middle of nowhere. And what? That is a fantastic analogy. What's the point of that? <laughs> I really I love that. I have to trick myself. I have and to I, trick myself a lot. I've run two marathons, which I'll never do again, but, um, oh. but it is exactly that. And, and minute by minute, you think about quitting and stopping minute by minute, which a lot of times in about the three quarter mark of every book I have, um, my wife says that we have this conversation every single time I write a book that I tell her and I mean it 100%. There's no part of me that is hoping for reassurance. I'm just letting her know that this is the worst book that's ever been written and I'm, and I'm quitting. And she just now 20 X books later, she just rolls her eyes and she says, train's coming in right on time. But I I forget it every time. Yeah. I think my wife might be your wife, which would be, which (laughs) Which would be weird. You and I seem very similar. Yes, that's true. We may look and sound nothing alike, but it seems like we are quite alike. Um, Yeah. Because I'm exactly the same. Because I remember when I was writing this novel, um, I said, I can't understand why this book is so hard because well, the others have been really easy. And she was like, <laughs> really? No. Have they? Have they? Because I imagine, I haven't had a baby, so I don't know. But I imagine having a baby, absolute agony. But then as soon as you finish it, it's so wonderful that you you do it again. Otherwise, everyone would only ever have one baby, right? They say there and are I these hormones the that take over the brain yes. that actually make you forget the pain. But I think that must happen with books. I think so too. <laughs> Something happens. <laughs> That you're like, you look back and you go, oh, that wasn't so bad, actually. That was quite fun. But at the time, it was like crawling on glass and it was horrible and yeah. I hated it. And I thought, when will this agony be over? And honestly, but- the ones that hurt the most, the ones that have been the most difficult for me, which include my second book, um, which was Romance, Pack Up the Moon, and this last thriller, um, have been the worst. And they are the ones I look back with the most fondness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, I really like what you were saying about challenging yourself. Because if you write a book and you know exactly what's going to happen and you know exactly what you're going to say with it, and then you just say it, and then afterwards you go, Oh, that was fun. What was the point of that? You might as well have gone and eaten a pudding. Like, there's no point. There's no point. (laughs) Whereas, I don't know, maybe I'm a masochist or something, but I feel like I do, I do want to keep learning and growing and improving. And if you're not improving in some way with every book, then you're just going backwards and nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to look at a previous book and go, that was my best one. It's always going to be the next one is the best one. The next one, the next one, the next one's always going to be better. Yes. Whenever I put my characters into the dark moment at the end of the book, my process, I know now, and I always forget every time too, but um, my process is to, to not be able to finish the book. 
I, mm-hmm. I, and I try for usually about a month to finish the book because my process is always to try to get to the end of the book before I revise. And then I remember, oh, I've stuck them in such a terrible place. Of course, I can't figure it out. If I could figure it out easily how to get them out of this place, it's not a story. It has to yeah. be a real crisis. So otherwise the reader's going to figure it out exactly. really easily. Exactly. <laughs> you so, don't want that. Exactly. What is yeah. your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Oh, gosh. Well, I think for me it's like a start and end thing. So I absolutely love, as I said, I really, really love kind of planning. Like I've already planned out my next five books. I You're kidding. I've planning. I don't mean I've like but you know the plot, but I know what they're about. I know what they're called. <laughs> amazing I just have a lot of things that I want to write like I'm never going to be able to write all the things that I want to write even if I live to be 100 I know that so yeah I just have a lot of things a lot of stories that I want to tell a lot of things that I want to explore a lot of worlds that I want to make and yeah so I've planned a lot out and I love doing that I love kind of feeling the world come together in my head because I sometimes not that I do jigsaws I don't know why I use these weird analogies for things that I don't even do like marathons it's like with a jigsaw and you know you kind of you make the edge and then you kind of slowly build it up until it's a full picture and I feel like that's what I do so the novel that I'm going to start in September it's pretty filled in like I've got the full edge I would say in most of the middle but there's lots of gaps still whereas you know the one that I want to write in like three books time I've only got a few jigsaw pieces mm. you know maybe if it if it needs 500 pieces I've got three pieces <laughs> And like over the, over time, I'll collect the pieces and try and put them together. Certain ones won't fit together. And, you know, you chuck some away, find some new ones, things like that. So yeah, I like to make it quite a slow process. Um, I just like to let things kind of come together in my head for quite a long time. So I love doing that. I like all the kind of gathering the ideas and things like that. And I absolutely love, um, the kind of end stuff. So I love doing events. I love doing readings, festivals. And if we've got in the UK, we've got so many book festivals, literary festivals, tons and tons. And obviously it's a very small country, so you can go to all of them. That's really cool. Very easily. Um, so yeah, I love doing all that. So in, in August in Edinburgh, there's a huge book festival, biggest in the world. So I'll be at that. Um, wow. It's enormous. Three, so over three weeks, it's got about, I think, five or 600 authors are there from all over the world. It's amazing. I've done it the past five, five or six years, I think. It's great so there's lots of things like that that I just love doing you know people listening to you read and talk about your work love all that stuff love it um the in-between <laughs> is the tricky part I guess the part when you kind of it's just you and you and your head you and your computer you and your brain and I think actually that's what holds most people back I think in this world there are lots of people who want to write and, you know, every time I get in a taxi or anything like that and the taxi driver asks what I do, you know, they always say they want to write a book and maybe some of them will and that'll be great. But I think most people who want to write a book, they won't. And it's not because they can't use language or they can't tell a story. It's because it is so hard to be alone with yourself. And I think particularly now, yeah. And particularly now that, you know, we've always got our phones with us. We're always chat, chat, chat. You know, I live in the city, constant noise, constant entertainment. You never have to be alone with your thoughts if you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Whereas to be a writer, you need to spend at least a year alone with yourself. And that's tough. That's really tough for a lot of people. Um, so I think actually that's what's, that's what holds people back. And that's what, 
yeah, stops a lot of people. And that's, that's the struggle is to, yeah, to just be in that headspace and kind of face your own limitations as well, because I don't think any of us are as good as we want to be because the fact that we want to write, I think suggests that we are inherently dissatisfied with the world because Mm. if we were satisfied with it, we wouldn't want to add more things to it. We wouldn't want to make up stories about things that don't exist. It's because we see a lack in the world, something that we want to, to say or do to, to fill that space. So I think there's an upside and a downside to that dissatisfaction. And I think, you know, if you love stories and you love words and you love books, you know what's possible, but you can't necessarily quite grasp it yet. And I, I think it's good to to reach for things that you can't grasp yet. But I think that means we will always be un- unsatisfied with what we produce because we we know how it could be, but perhaps our, our skills aren't there yet. And I think however skilled you become, you're still thinking, oh, but it could be better. It could be better because it can always be better. Anything can be better nothing's perfect you know the most incredible books I've ever read aren't perfect mm-hmm. I mean that's boring anyway perfection I can, I can never write books to the level that I want them to be there's always 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 that gap and I love mm-hmm. that gap and I love the way you're saying it because I'm always the rest of my life I'm going to be trying to close the gap between what I want a project to be and what I can make it mm-hmm. and I'm never going to you know it's that uh what is the, the um I don't remember. I want to say it's like the asymptote where they, they'll never meet. They'll oh, always yeah. get closer and closer, but they'll never, ever touch. So. Because, you, because you'll always be expecting more of yourself because mm-hmm. I think most writers, probably all writers, are ambitious in that way and they want to push themselves and they want to improve. But there, I think the kind of the downside or the shadow of that is that you're never going to be quite satisfied because, yeah, it, it can always be better. Anything can be better, but... Yeah. Sometimes you just have to go, am I going to write the same book for the rest of my life? And it will never be perfect anyway, or I make it like I look back at my first book and I feel so fondly towards it, the way that I look at myself as a teenager and I feel quite fondly towards teenage Kirsty, you know, like yeah. I wouldn't want to be her again. And if I met her, she would annoy me, but you know, you have to be that person so that you can be the person that you are now. And you have to be the person that you are now. So you can be the person that you're going to be in mm-hmm. five years or 10 years. So we had to write yeah. these books to get to where we are now, yeah. even though I, you know, my first, my first published book was my fourth attempt at a book and I still regret that it's out there. Just really, <laughs> well, not regret, not regret. I love that it's gotten me here, but I know I'm just such a better writer now. I'm mm-hmm. miles and miles better than I was for that first book. And it's, you know, and people still like that book. So that's great, but I yeah. can't read, I could not read it. I would. But that's good. I mean, imagine if you eye. weren't, imagine if you looked at it and went, oh, that was my best. Yeah. <laughs> That would be, that's that would my be one awful. goal. That's, well, I have lots of goals, but one of my very strong goals is always to be trying, always to write a better book than I did last time. Always, like we, mm-hmm. like we mentioned. Can you yeah. share a quick craft tip of any sort with us? Yeah, I don't know if it's a craft tip, but I think it's, my advice is to always follow the rabbit. So, you know, if you know Alice mm-hmm. in Wonderland and she follows the rabbit, she follows the white rabbit and she falls down the hole into Wonderland. And I think particularly as a beginner writer, it's quite easy to not follow the rabbit so you see the rabbit and you see it go but then you think you hold yourself back and you think well I don't want to say that because it's too personal it's too raw or you think oh but someone's told that story before I mean let me tell you someone's told every story before but they haven't told it the way that you specifically tell it they haven't told it in your voice with your experience and your life so every story 
it deserves to be told, even if it's told before, because it's going to be told differently. Like you and I could write the same idea and it would come out completely differently. So yeah, I think we just hold ourselves back too much and we don't quite lean into it hard enough because we think people are going to laugh at us or it's silly or it's too fluffy or it's too serious. It's too dark. It's too light. It's too something. So my advice would always be go for it. Follow the rabbit, fall down the hole, go to Wonderland, have a wander around. No one's going to see your first draft anyway. So just any oddness or rawness or anything that you feel that you think, no, that's a bit too much. I mean, again, like being female and being Scottish is even worse because we always think, God, I'm too much. I'm too much. I'm too loud. I'm going to be smaller. I'm going to go away. Oh, did I say too much? Okay, sorry. I'm going to go away now. And that's something that I think it's really important to fight against, not necessarily to walk into every room shouting at the top of your lungs, but to just think you don't always have to apologize. So I think we can be quite apologetic for our voices and the things that we want to say. So yeah, follow the rabbit, lean in, don't apologize. I love that. That's a (laughs) wonderful craft tip. It's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I love the idea of chasing you, even in your bio, you say, you know, you fall down into the YouTube pits and that's because Mm -hmm. we're chasing an idea of something that's compelling at that moment, even if it's truly embarrassing, if anybody saw our YouTube <laughs> browser history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's because we're yeah. fascinated. We're fascinated with things and ideas, and that's why we do it. It's mm-hmm. why we chase these. And it's about how you analyze things and what you do with them, because I, I get asked a lot, because my work's published as literary fiction and, you know, goes for literary prizes and things. So I always think when someone says, what are my influences? I should be saying Proust I should be saying Derrida you know these kind of things and like fine yeah I've read those things I wouldn't say they really influence my work though you know what influences my work is like some trashy tv show that I saw on stars or like some youtube clip or like a line from a pop song or something but I think it's about mixing those different influences you don't have to pretend some kind of lofty influence if you don't have one and um so I'm yeah trying to own that and um (laughs) not shy away from it and just say no do you know what it's okay if this trashy women's prison drama influenced me that doesn't mean my book is lesser than if it had been um influenced by this piece of postmodern criticism you know absolutely I have always when I realized this about myself I it was one of those things I embraced that I cannot tell you if I prefer the New Yorker over People magazine I just think they're equally pertinent and smart and mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're every if I read those two things I'm 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 happy it satisfies everything in my brain but see what? the fiction that I want to read is halfway between those two yes me too so perfect <laughs> <laughs> we are the same person what is, <laughs> what is the best book that you've read recently and why did you okay so the best book I read was actually a reread and um it is this book with its beautiful blue cover. So it's called The Doll's Alphabet by Camilla Grudova. And she's a Canadian writer, Um, but she's trying to move to Scotland. So I hope hope she can. Um, And it's so odd and perfect. And, you know, these things I was saying about following the rabbit and not apologizing, Camilla Grudova does exactly that. Her stories are so weird in the best possible way. Really strange. So... Um, they're all about, you know, women who turn into sewing machines. They're about, um, a kind of sentient mermaid statue who observes 
a kind of period of history through her eyes um, and kind of is slowly destroyed physically as time goes on. It's really strange. They're all set in this really non-specific world where it's a kind of post-war world where everyone lives in boarding houses with not enough furniture and they all drink tea that's got sawdust in it and eat sardines out of a tin and everything's a little bit dusty, you know. So it's this really non-specific period of time, really strange, but so good and weird. And you would never mistake her writing for anybody else's. Mm. And I love that, that, yeah. that uniqueness is so hard to come by, but so wonderful. And again, the type of thing that isn't necessarily to everyone's taste, but um, I read this thing. Um, I think it's really cute, which is um, I'd rather be someone's shot of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea oh, that's so nice. I feel like she's she's a shot of whiskey rather than everyone's cup of tea that's wonderful <laughs> I'm going to check her out thank you thank you so much mm-hmm. for that now can you tell us where we can find you and tell us a little bit about the gloaming for listeners too yeah <clears throat> so the gloaming is my most recent novel which was just out um a couple of months ago and um, oh, it has a really beautiful cover. Hang on, I can show you it. If if you're watching the video, I can show you. Um, so it has this beautiful That's cover incredible. with mermaids on, and it's shiny. Oh, as it's well. shiny! That didn't that didn't show <laughs> online. Oh, it's beautiful. really nice, and they've even done like beautiful <gasps> end papers and everything. Yeah, really, really beautiful. And it's got even illustrations inside as well, little mermaid illustrations. It's a really beautiful book. Um, so yeah, it's really gorgeous. The way it's been put together, I couldn't be happier. And it's um, set on a small Scottish island where people are slowly turning to stone. And it's a love story between two women. So we have Mara, who has grown up on the island, and she has a terrible bereavement early on in the book. And so she was, she kind of wanted to leave the island, but because of this bereavement, she has to stay with her family. But she feels that they're all turning to stone. And I mean, I don't know about you, I'm from a small town kind of felt like I was turning to stone sometimes. Oh yeah, me too. But there's, I, f- I feel like there's an upside and a downside to that, as with most things, that there's the downside of obviously then being stuck and not being able to move. But then there's also that sense of being really tied to the earth and being tied to one place, which is kind of an upside as well. Mm-hmm. So she's really quite ambivalent about this. But then she meets Pearl, who is this very glamorous mermaid performer. This is a real job. I interviewed people who did this. Um, yeah, so mermaid performers. So they travel around the world and perform as mermaids. Um, so, you know, synchronized swimming kind of thing, oh, but with yes. a mermaid tail on. You can see it in old films as well sometimes. I went to a, publish- um, a HarperCollins publishing party one time where we went to a restaurant where they had these women doing that in the tanks while we mm-hmm. drank wine and ate. I was just, I couldn't mm-hmm. believe I was seeing it. And it was really beautiful and very unnerving. So go on. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So that's what Pearl does in the book. But there's a bit of a suggestion that maybe she really can breathe underwater. Maybe she really is a little bit um, special. And so then Mara has to make the choice of, is she going to stay on the island with her family and turn to stone? Or is she going to leave? And of course, face her fears um, of of the water and become a mermaid. Um, so that's what it's about. It does go to some dark places, but... Oh, it does kind of pull you out, pull you out of the water, yeah. so to speak, at the end of the book. Because I really feel like that's important to, um, I think my books go to some very dark places and are quite raw and emotional. But I do um, believe in not necessarily a happy ending, but a um, a hopeful ending. An ending that has a hope of some kind of a redemption or a moving on. Um, so yeah, that's that book. 
Um, and you can find that um, anywhere. It's published in the UK just now only. Um, so if you are abroad, you can still get it at the book depository. They will deliver anywhere in the world. You can get the beautiful, lovely hardback. free shipping. And that's where and mine's coming from. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's bookdepository.com. Yes. So you can get it there. Or if you're in the UK, you can get it in any bookshop. We'll have Is it, it going to be published um, we'll be in the States? Secret. I don't know yet. I hope so. Okay. My last book was, so I'm I'm okay. hoping it will Great. be. Um, yeah, so my last book was um, this one. This is the US cover. So this was my last book, The Grace Keepers. This is the US cover. So you can still get this one in the US. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping so. Um, but it's just one of those things you're not really in control of. So just you're, have to wait. You're not see. in control of it, but I would say um, uh, I, I put out maybe six books with Random House Australia. Mm-hmm. Um and then I self-publish them everywhere else if we can't sell them oh. in the states. So that's something to keep in your pocket. That's something I've made some money on. And then that's you get and then you get all the excellent editing. But if your agent can't sell elsewhere, you have the world right. So, oh yeah, think about that's it. very true. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will think about it. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of plate spinning, but <laughs> plate spinning. But it's good. Reach out to me. I'll help with yeah, anything. No, it can. sounds good. It sounds good. I'll have a think about it. Um, yeah, so I'm very easy to find online. I'm at kirstylogan.com. It's my website and it's Kirsty with a Y. Um, and not Christy. I know Kirsty is an unusual name um, outside Scotland. It's very common here, but um, yeah, no, I love it's quite unusual. Yeah. I like it. Oh, like Kirsty Alley, right? Christy. So mm-hmm. I'm very conscious of all the Kirsties. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah, Kirsty. Kirsty Logan. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kirsty Logan as well. Um, yeah. So do, if, if folk want to get in touch or follow, um, have a little chat, then that would be great with me. I can send you nice pictures of my dog wow. and of the rain, the rain in Scotland. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight to talk to you. And it's Thank been you. such a treat. And I wish you happy morning writing tomorrow. Thank you. It's going into your evening. <laughs> thanks Thanks so much much. christy it was lovely to talk Bye. bye thanks so much for joining me on this episode of how do you write You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.